Welcome to the Public Morality. If you heard the term a raceless gospel, what comes to mind? Is it a colorblind gospel? Is it an anti-racist gospel? Is it something that seemingly works so hard not to offend that it's essentially irrelevant? My guest, the Reverend Starlet Thomas, would most likely reject all the aforementioned possibilities. I was so captured by the initiative that I wanted to have Reverend Thomas on the public morality. She is director and podcast host of the Racist Gospel Initiative, and it is my honor to be in conversation with her today. Reverend Starlet Thomas, welcome to the public morality. Thank you so much for having me. I want to begin our conversation by having you define what you mean by a raceless gospel. Such a good question. I get it all the time. So I usually define the raceless gospel by what it is not. So it is not a colorblind vision. Uh, It is not a post-racial assumption or, or projection. The raceless gospel simply says that persons are made in the imago dei, that is the image of God and that color, the social coloring of skin should not go in front of the human being. I mean, that actually defaces and erases uh, the divine imprint. Uh, So the raceless gospel (laughs) is many things for me, uh, but colorblind not being one, but it does challenge the church not to toe the color line. Uh, I think it's it's damning, it's quite telling. that the, the North American church, its response to race has been to, to color in the face of God. Uh, and so the raceless gospel says there's neither, it, it posits itself, it imitates that of Galatians uh, chapter three and verse 28, where he says there's no, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, this uncategorical baptismal identity. And so we live into that for the kingdom that is coming. Now, you, you, you mentioned uh, uh, colorblind gospel, so I'm going to come back to that, because I'm sure when people hear racist gospel, they probably yeah. their impulse is to go to the, the colorblind gospel. How is that? Uh, how is that different? I'm sure somebody's asking, how is that different? What is the colorblind gospel, then, if you, if you will? This is not a colorblind gospel. It is to see race as it is. There are no physically colored uh, beige, brown, black, red, yellow, and white people. Race is a sociopolitical construct. It's an enlightenment theory. It's, it's hundreds of years old. And I want to lean into the identity that is eternal. I want the one that is God-breathed, not the, one, not the word that someone else made flesh, not the, not the identity of a human being. So this is not about colorblindness. This is not about us and them. This is about all of us coming together and seeing race for what it is. So for me, race is the problem, mm. not us. So, so, so would a raceless gospel uh, ignore... Uh, some of the uh, uh, political things that are especially happening here in America that that makes race so prominent? I mean, how, how, how do you deal with those? Do you ignore race? How oh, you- oh, oh, absolutely. Good question. So over here, uh, uh, we dream and we make demands. We prophesy and we protest. King had a dream, but he also marched. So we do not deny that there is police brutality or racism or stereotyping. We just reject the premise that you don't get to treat me a particular way because of race. No, you're treating me that way because of you. Race is the fall, it's the pawn, it's the bait and switch. It has nothing to do with that. If it were not race, it would be something else. So no, the struggle is real. We march over here, we protest over here. Uh, now, you, you, you identified on uh, social media uh, as a race abolitionist. Define that yes, term, sir. please. Yes, sir. So I'm in this, I come in the spirit of Harriet Tubman. 
so I see a vision somewhere else. And if persons don't want to go with me, that is fine, but I can't deny what I've seen. So it is my job, it is my duty to deconstruct race and then to demolish it, to erase it. It is a color-coded caste system. It's really not that deep. I wanna go back to Africa. I want to be, <laughs> I say it this way, I am not black the way that Kunta Kente is not Toby. Okay. I wanna go back, I want my mother tongue. Now, one of the reasons I, I really wanted to have you on the broadcast, uh, so much of the American narrative is tied to this social construct of race. And so how does a racist gospel exist in a paradigm so dependent throughout its history on this social construct of race? Yeah, yeah. so you're absolutely right. It is foundational to American history and identity, uh, and it's an assimilation narrative. And so for me as a Christian, and that's, I'm a Christian believer, that's how I identify, uh, if Christians are, are called to turn the world upside down, then what else am I supposed to be doing? It is not my goal to enable and empower the status quo. I'm supposed to upset these categories. And I, I feel very strongly that I'm not a categorical human being, that I don't fit into a box and that you can't simply color me in. So I see this as a practice of discipleship. I'm supposed to make a mess. I'm supposed to kick up dust. I'm supposed to cause a ruckus. I'm supposed to go in the opposite direction if I'm following Jesus because he doesn't follow Caesar. And I'm gonna stretch that out a little bit. In, in, in the Western uh, Christian theological tradition, for a number of reasons, historically, um, there's there's been this racial uh, undertone. Uh, the betrayals, uh, paintings of uh, Michelangelo and Da Vinci, probably the the best known. And prior to that, you had the uh, the spread of the Roman Empire, which which did much more for the spread of Christianity. I'm using that in quotations than anything the Apostle yep. Paul did. So, yep. is it fair to say then that you are in fact cutting against the grain of a narrative that's actually several thousand years old? It's not several thousand. So uh, race as we see it, it was invented in, uh, during the Enlightenment period. Uh, whiteness as an identity came alongside uh, the immigrants who became white at Ellis Island. It is not, it's not eternal. Uh, Franken Snowden has a book called uh, Before Color Prejudice, and he studies race and antiquity. So race is not eternal. Race is not ongoing. Race is about 400 years old. That's a part of the myth. Uh, we're, we're, race goes back into history and colors things. But it's not possible for race to be eternal. It would suggest that race is a part of the Trinity. I also ask people how high up you have to climb to color in the face of God. How is that possible? If God is, if God is all things, if God is everywhere present, you have to restrict Jesus to a five by seven or eight by 11 or 11 by 17 in order to frame Jesus or frame God. You have to reduce God. So for me, race is the problem. And, and it's, not, it's not a problem that's been with us long. And if I keep on talking, it won't be with us for very long because I live to undermine its credibility. And, and, and just, just, just to clarify, what I meant by several thousand years old, I'm factoring in the Roman Empire, um, mm -hmm. so, so who adopted a religion that's tied to the empire, and then the, uh -huh. and the, and the portrayals of Michelangelo and the portrayals ah. of Da Vinci um, yeah. are of a European Jesus. So that's what, that's how I get the several thousand years old. Not not okay. not so much the, the social construct piece, but everybody's taking their cues from those paintings by Michelangelo and Da Vinci. That's what I meant by that. I see, I see, and that does matter. This, this, this bait and switch they're doing is not new. Uh, the church is is, is unapolog unapologetically, but they should be ashamed of the ways in which they line up with Caesar. Hmm. It, it, it continues to astound me 
how far away from Jesus the church continues faithfully to walk away from Jesus. I, it just astounds me. Uh, I'm speaking with uh, the Reverend Starlet Thomas, director of the Racist Gospel Initiative. Reverend Thomas, uh, of the major religious traditions, it's sort of sticking with the theme of our, of our last question. Christianity seems um, the most dependent on an actual portrayal of Jesus, even if one projects, uh, rejects rather the Eurocentric uh, uh, portrayal of Jesus, to offer Jesus as a man of color, is that not still operating in the same paradigm, just putting a new coat of paint on it? No, I see Jesus not as a racialized human being. He's a, he, was a, he, was a, he was a Jew, a Mediterranean Jew. Leave Jesus where he is. You don't get to, you don't get to color in Jesus either. You don't get to swap him out. <laughs> this is not a Starbucks gospel. You don't get to make Jesus blonde haired and blue eyed. You also don't need to make him in the image of you. That, that feeds the narrative of race. What are we doing to Jesus's gospel and that he has to line up with the doctrine of race, that he has to come in these particular categorical colors. I am suggesting that you identify with your culture, with your country of origin and that you get rid of race. That's, that's all I'm saying. So no, I don't want you to swap Jesus out. I'm not trading out a, a socially colored white Jesus for a, a right on my brother, black power, black Jesus. No, Jesus was a Mediterranean Jew and we have to accept that. You can't pull him out of that narrative and make it fit the racial narrative. That's a different gospel. Why in this new millennium, and, talk, and spend, some time, spend some time with this, please. Why in this new millennium do you see this raceless gospel necessary at, at a time such as this? So I have been working on forming my words around this declaration for more than 10 years. It took me a long time to come to this, and it started with my own sense of human being. Howard Thurman asked, who am I really? And so I wanted to know who I was. And so I asked the persons that you ask uh, who brought you in, into being, you know, how did I come to be? And I was told that race made the decision, uh, that it was important that, that I appear a particular way because white is right. Uh, whiteness gives you, mo gives you upward mobility. It will take you places. And so if you have particular, uh, a particular texture, a particular skin tone or social coloring of skin, then it'll take you farther. But if you look darker, um, then there's gonna be problems for you. So this is a very personal journey for me. It started when I was about 19 and it's taken me this long to say it. So it's not even about the moment, it's about what I was born to do. This is the message, it came to me this way. Race has always been my enemy. I don't think that, I don't think anyone but God should have creative power over me. And race recreates me in the image of a stereotype. And that's a problem for me. Martin Luther King famously said that uh, he was lamenting that 11 a.m. on Sunday morning was Talk the most segregated hour in America. And I yeah. certainly understand the point he's making, but so much of religion comes out of a social context. It's a, it's a social thing. And yeah. so is there anything wrong um, with folk uh, getting together based on their social context, which happens to mean you have a black church and you have, you know, people coming together in that way. Is anything wrong with that in your view? Historically, no. The black church grew out of a survival mode. They needed it to survive. Uh, and before, and it wasn't them that wanted to divide or to segregate. That came out of American slavery. It was needed. It was necessary. In some context, it is still necessary. But we do have to answer Jesus's prayer at some point. 
And he said he prayed that we all might be one. He did give us a ministry of reconciliation and we have to practice that at some point, at some time, we're gonna have to come together because I hate to break it to you, heaven is not segregated. And it's sad to, to know that cemeteries beat out churches for integration. It is just the work that we're called to do. Uh, while persons can argue that there are cultural distinctions and cultural distinctions and differences, and that's why we do what we do, those are excuses, work through them. It should be difficult. Worship, sh it should be hard. Discipleship, with walking alongside Jesus, something in you should die daily. It's just, it's just what it is. And I haven't seen the church work hard at it at all. They've just given up and said, we're just gonna remain segregated. Everybody else has done the work of integration through marching and protests and laws and the church ain't wrote a hymn about it yet. And that's, that's, not, that's not the gospel. On, on, on your site, uh, it's posted, the Jesus we meet in scripture and Sunday morning are not the same Jesus. Expand yeah. that if you would. Yeah, so the more I read Jesus's red words, the more I had a problem with the church. I met the Jesus who interrupted oppressive and marginalizing narratives, who talked to people he was told he could not talk to. And in church, oftentimes, because they're, it's hyper-racialized and it's segregated, and when it's multicultural, there's only one particular culture that's leading. It's not as liberating. I do not come to church and, it, and, and feel like it is liberating or freeing. If anything, it's theological mismanagement. I don't hear a liberative message. Jesus came into the temple and made a mess of things. Money in the air, literally ruffled feathers. I want the Jesus that comes in and knocks stuff over. I want the Jesus that breaks a sweat. I want the Jesus, they're like, what, what are we gonna do next? Somebody get him. I want the Jesus that you gotta call security on because he's making a mess of who we think we are and what we think we're doing with God and God's people. I don't see that on Sunday mornings. I see routine. I see committee meetings. I see perfunctory performances. I see theological, ooh, I almost said something, foolishness. I don't see the Jesus that makes me squeamish, that makes me question what I'm doing with my life and question, question if I'm doing it right. I don't see the Jesus that calls into question, deep questioning who I am. I don't see the Jesus that I long for. It's too easy. Church on Sunday morning is too easy. I wanna see Jesus. I want Jesus to show up every day of the week, preaching to me, walking alongside me, enlivening me, opening the scriptures for me. I want my heart to burn every day of the week, not just on Sunday not just on middle of the week, but every day. And I don't, when I come to church, I don't hear that kind of invitation being extended. It's a membership. Shake your hand, uh, right hand of fellowship. You, it's, it's too easy. You don't, it's, it's way too easy. The fact that when I'm baptized, I am handed a certificate as if that is the finished work, as if I'm done dying to self. The fact that I can confess Christ in three steps and think it's over, we're doing it wrong. So no, the Jesus I meet in scripture is not, no, no, no. I want the Jesus that comes in and cusses, cusses fig trees, that calls people hypocrites, that calls it out respectfully. But that, that, that doesn't let us just sit well and sit easy in our pews, holding, um, holding hymn books that, you know, some so-and-so bought and you can't sit here and you can't touch this. Who is this Jesus? I, I, just, I, I, I just don't recognize him on Sunday morning. 
Yeah, I have. So you ask a good question. I have a lot of a lot of issues with that, Jesus. Mm -hmm. if, if this initiative uh, is designed, uh, and I'm using I'm using some of your words from your site to empower Christian believers, leaders, and thinkers to think about the social political construct of race. I mean, and, and the myriad injustices. I mean, when I read that, I'm like, okay, now that's a lot of work right there. Yeah. And when you, yeah. when you throw in the added later of an authentic theology, yeah. uh, take a moment, if you would, and explain to our listeners what that could look like in practice. Ah, uh, man. So it's definitely hard work. Uh, it's definitely... Uh, that's why, that's why I give you the conditional speak of could look. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's, it's rich work. How it could look, man, wouldn't that be the dream? Wouldn't that be a thing of beauty? Uh, it would look like a, a just society. It would look like women walking down the street without being harassed, catcalled. It would look like George Floyd breathing. Yeah, I was going to say, what, I was about to ask you, what would it look like to Breonna Taylor? I, I, was, I, was, I was about uh, to ask you. It would look like a good night's sleep for her. See, yeah, when you, it, it looks like a lot of justice, a lot of balance, a lot of reparations. For me, it is very justice oriented. There's a lot of writing of history. It is letting people fully belong and be as human beings. And I use African-Americans because they are, we are marginalized and oppressed. Uh, but I can say the same thing for the Asian community and for uh, persons who are migrants who are trying to cross the border who are called aliens, which is the strangest of things. It looks like a warm welcome. You know, it looks like a home for everybody. It looks like an embrace and not offense. It looks like my body no longer being a boundary. It looks like me open welcoming of all who would come to me, just like Jesus. And that's what the church is supposed to be doing. It looks like nobody being strange to me or a stranger. It looks like me crossing to the other side of the road and tending to my neighbor's needs. It looks like Jesus. It looks like the gospel lived out. If we could only live it out. It, it yeah. seems especially I, I, and I, I'm, just, I'm using the broad stroke here especially in the last half of 20th century and even probably even closer than that there was a a redefinition uh, of, of Christian theological discourse emanating from a number of groups that have been uh, historically fall into historical marginalized categories. And I'm thinking specifically you had black liberation theology, you had Latin American liberation theology, you had feminist theology, womanist theology. What these seem to have in common was they were looking through an acute sociological lens um, mm -hmm. and, and with a theological out, uh, critique. How is a racist gospel different in that context? because it's, I'm, I'm pointing to the end of the thing. And let me just say, I needed all of those. All of those are pushes for liberation. You need all of that. This is all a process toward liber liberation. So I'm pointing to the end of the thing, to the end goal, that there is a kingdom coming. And that if, white, if, we don't, if we don't see white supremacy as a theological problem, if we don't root that thing out, if Christians don't start giving up this white privilege, air quotes, then we're gonna be in a lot of trouble. So mine is more of a prophetic um, repent you hypocrites. So that, that's, that's all there is. It is, it is, it is consistently to say uh, that you need to believe and behave a particular way because the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And y'all better switch this up quickly. It's for everybody. 
that we all have work to do. But I needed all of those liberating works. I needed all their words to get me to this point. So, uh, but like, but like, there's a. Uh, uh, I want to say, um, it's it's more than it's more than what we've seen. And somebody's got to imagine it. Somebody's got to dream it. Somebody has to act it out. Somebody has to say this is not right, and we're supposed to be behaving this way. So it's pointing us to a different way of being. There's a baptismal identity that we have that we have not lived into. Uh, you raised something in your last answer. I, I think that, that that's, that's really important. I just want to. I just want to have you expand on it because you talked about you needing all those theologies and and, and, and in my perspective it seems like too often uh and i'm not saying that um say james cone the, the author of black liberation theology i'm not saying that james cone said this but there's a there seems in my view to be a okay I, i'm a disciple of black liberation theology therefore latin american the uh liberation theology got gustavo gutierrez we got to talk about queer theology we have to talk about Feminist theology, we have nothing to talk about. I can't get anything from woman's theology because I'm a disciple of black liberation theology. And I hear you saying that all of those have a truth and you are pulling some of your truth out of their truth. Am I, am I yeah. good? Yes, because we're all trying to get free. We are all striving. We're all pushing against a narrative that is trying to oppress us. So your oppression is my oppression. If, I'm, if you're not free, neither am I. I, I'm not, I can't, I can't divide up or give a hierarchy of oppressions. I think Bell Hooks talks about that. It's just impossible. I need to listen to them. I need to, I need to hear their stories. Whether or not I agree is not the point. I need to know their stories so that I can, even if I disagree with something, so I can ask better questions and get fuller and richer answers. But you got to listen to everybody because everybody's being picked on. We can't just single ourselves out and say, well, this one is doing that. Well, this one is experiencing the same thing. And once we hear all those different stories, we can, we can identify a common enemy. And sometimes it's patriarchy. Sometimes it's race. Sometimes it's white supremacy. But there are common enemies and themes throughout them all. So I would say listen to them all. Hmm. We're going to free everybody. Uh, on that note, um, uh, and given some of the work, and I, and I obviously had the advantage of uh, preparing for this, I, you know, I, I got a chance to read and listen to some of your podcasts. But, but when people hear racist gospel, what is some of the pushback you get? What are some of the assumptions that are laden on your work before you even open your mouth? It is typically, are you saying that we should be colorblind? That is entirely too easy. I want you to see race as it is. I want you to name it as it is. I don't want you to not see people. I want you to see them being stereotyped based on how they look. I want you to see all of that and feel all of that. So typically it is, oh, you're asking us to be colorblind. No, and this is also not a diversity training because the world has always been diverse. Nobody needs diversity training unless your circle is not diverse. I'm not calling anybody out. It's also not, because I typically get that, oh, you're talking about a post-racialism. We can't put race behind us. We have so much work to do. Race comes up in every conversation. Race gets in front of us and our human being. We have to deconstruct all of that. This is going to take some time, but there's a different way to look at it. We have a goal in mind, racelessness. I'm not, this is not new. Zora Neale Hurston said, I feel most colored when thrown up against a sharp white background. There's also this book called The, the Autobiography of an Ex-Colored Man. This is not new. This is old work that's coming back around again with the hopes that someone will hear it this time. That's all it is. I want to pull again uh, from uh, your writing on your site. 
uh, I, I, I love this quote. And I want to have you expand on it. Um, more and more, uh, I'm hearing Christians ask in one way or another, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus who sits quietly while George Floyd is choked to death and Breonna Taylor is shot to death? Who saves people via pyramid scheme? Who comes in Democrat and Republican who endorses the inhospitable treatment of immigrants and storming the U.S. Capitol? They don't know where he came from, but they have no use for him. And they are throwing him out. They are deconstructing. Because much of what we have learned about Jesus has been added on, piled on, and we have told and heard the story about him. The floor is yours. Say more about that if you would. Lord. So, yeah, the Jesus I met before I went to Sunday school was white Jesus. He was white Jesus on a white Bible. And it was literally a white Bible with a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus on the cover of the Holy Bible. I have it too, I should bring it out. But the Jesus I was introduced to was white. Uh, the, the Christianity that I was introduced to, I was told it was the white man's religion. So before I even got to the book, before I had a personal relationship with Jesus, I was told that it was no good for me. That the white man, the socially colored white man, air quote, had written the book. Uh, so there's a, lot, there's a lot that race messes up for me. That I, I could not approach the book. Before I even got to the book, I had to deal with the story of race and how it had been racialized. And if it was in, in fact written by white people who did not exist during antiquity, by the way. Um, and so for me, I feel like there's, I feel, I know that we, persons add a lot to Jesus's gospel to make it work for them, whether it be for, poli for political reasons, for capitalistic gain with the bubblehead Jesus, or for, for uh, to use Jesus as a, as a mascot in the ongoing race war. Jesus is used for a plethora of things except for the one thing that Jesus came to do, to save us all. We don't want that. In the midst of, of, of the social upheaval um, that uh, has marred, in my view, the last, certainly uh, in terms of television coverage, the last two decades, we also witnessed from some protest movements a rejection of what they viewed was the antiquated methods that resembled the civil rights movement of, say, the 1950s and 60s. As you delve into important social issues, is there something about the racist gospel um, that people need to be aware of? Or do they look at you with a genocide, like, what are you doing here? How, I mean, how, did you, how, how, how do you embrace that? How do I embrace? Well, just, just, just people are, um, I, I'm seeing my experience is that people are um, suspect when they, when they see religion, theology coming, they immediately go to what they thought ah. the civil rights movement was. And sometimes that's not even an accurate portrayal of what it was. And so mm -hmm. I could see you in the 21st century getting some pushback. And that's what I'm asking you to, 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 to speak So of. for me, uh, you know, last summer was a, was a difficult summer for many of us, and we decided to take to the streets and protest. And um, I was clergy, but I didn't identify as such. I didn't come out and march in my robe. Uh, I got I got down on my knees when we needed to to pray and to sing, and we sang some of those sang protest songs. But I didn't feel like I needed to boast about it or to say I'm doing this in Jesus' name. Jesus didn't do that. Uh, and and honestly, quite frankly, the people the clergy that I did see did come in robes. And they stood in front of uh, St. John's and took pictures and made statements and left. They did not march with us. They were not with us uh, when, I, when we almost got arrested, or, and some of us did, uh, when we were being harassed and um, targeted and pushed uh, uh, and followed and chased. 
Um, and so there's something to be said for that, that their only reference is the civil rights movement. What ha that, that would suggest that the church has not been relevant uh, for, for, for a couple generations now. If the last major event that the church has participated in and that they can reference is the civil rights movement, doesn't that say something about the black church itself? That's, that's, that, that doesn't make me feel bad at all. It should make the church feel bad. But I know where I was and I had no concern for um, persons' um, religious convictions. I came there in the name of love, in the name of God. I didn't feel the need to proselytize. Um, I didn't feel the need to meet at a church. You go where, where the hurt is. You go where the struggle is and you stay there until it stops. That's it. I don't need, and you can organize anywhere. For me, uh, calling, calling the names of those who've been murdered by police brutality, they became my cloud of witnesses. That was my litany. That was my prayer list. When we sang, ain't gonna let nobody turn me around, that was my hymn for the morning. And when they, uh, they gave us, they would give us pep talks and give us speeches right before we go out to protest, that was my sermon. Laying on, uh, laying in the middle of the street, prostrate, uh, imitating the last position of George Floyd, I've, I've never felt closer to God, to the suffering Christ, than putting my face on the pavement to, to be close to where he was. So for me, uh, there is no, be, go where you're supposed to go and be with the people who need you most. That is the gospel. Photo ops and, and titles and, and fancy speakers and podiums, we don't need that. Just show up, just show up. You, you gave credit to the church during the civil rights movement, and, and I, I would say uh, that uh, I know I know in Birmingham there were 500 black churches uh, in 1963 in Birmingham and surrounding areas. It was actually less than 20 that actually participated in the Birmingham campaign. So, mm -hmm. so if you really, so it really isn't even call them out. Even that history is not a not a long one. If you if you would call them out. I wasn't going to say it. I'm already picking enough fights today. We're going to let you have that one. I didn't say it, listeners. <laughs> I didn't do it. But he's at, statistically, he's absolutely right. All the people that they march with King, you better ask him to pull out some photos because people are lying. Everybody didn't march with King. People didn't even like King. Yeah. They couldn't stand him. They talked about him. Now he's great. Now they want to be associated with him. Now they quote him. But he couldn't get people to come out and protest. Now we're going to stand here and have church. We're going to pray about it. Jesus is coming back. No, get out and work. Get out and fight for it. Frederick Douglass said he prayed for freedom and it wasn't answered until he ran with his feet. And so I believe it's both and. Preach, prophesy, and then protest to get the answers. Well, to, to your point about Martin, we forget that uh, he died um, for sanitation workers. Uh, yes, he I, did. I, I think that's called the least of these. Um, yes, sir. Yes, so, sir. Yeah, so uh, I'm, right. I'm speaking... Uh, if we can call it speaking, we're, we're, we're about to, uh, Michael, you're about to, we're about to plast the offering plate, aren't we? You know, <laughs> uh, it is a raceless gospel. So I look here, it's going to sound a little bit like preaching. Every <laughs> once in a while. Speaking with Reverend Starlet Thomas, the director of the Raceless Gospel Initiative, uh, Reverend Thomas, you, you referenced this so early. I want to come back to it. Sort of said in passing, what does race mean for you as you see it defined by the North American church? So race is, 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 we say socio-political because it is a social arrangement, it's a social agreement, it's, it's, it's not a divine covenant, it has nothing to do with God or God's will. Um, 
one author says, Charles W. Mills says it is a, 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 it's a contract. He calls it a racial contract. He said it's, it's not, it doesn't read uh, we the people, but we the white people. So it, it's an agreement. That's what race is. It's an agreement to oppress, uh, to hoard. That I'm going to take some things. I'm going to take near about everything and you're going to get the rest. But then they add God to it. But at the end of the day, it's not about physicality. It's about power. Race is not about the shape of your nose or the size of your eyes or the social coloring of your skin or the texture of your hair. Those are all distractions. Race is about power and who gets to have it. And so I'm going to name you all the white people and everybody else is people of color as if white is not a color. Make it make sense. For me, it's a pyramid scheme. It's a bait and switch. It's a capitalist ploy. It has nothing to do with you or I. It's all about moving material and financial and physical resources. We just do it, or they just do it, that ominous they, in the name of race. It's a pawn in the game. Hey, but at the same time, if, 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 I mean, there's so many sects to Christianity. If I had 10 people in the room and said, what's a Christian? I would probably get 13 different answers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As you should, as you should. It needs to be expansive. It's not either or, it's both and. It is everything, throw it all in the mix. Race is a lot of things. Race covers just about everything and we have to pin it down wherever we see it. But I'm just saying there's, there's not even a consistent, but what about when there's not even a consistent definition because um, I can assure you what you and I are talking about today on the public morality is not the same conversation that's being had at the church around the corner from you. You know, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a different, it's a different conversation. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, uh, uh, I suspect, and you, 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 you help me, I suspect part of the pushback you get is because so much, and these are, this is my view, so much of Christianity uh, regardless of, of, of the denomination, has relied on a certain level of comfort. And you can't have change in comfort. I haven't gotten any pushback yet. Mostly, I get more views than likes, which means everybody is, the majority of the people are watching what I'm saying. They're taking it in. And slowly but surely, they'll start to understand. They'll start, oh, this is what you mean. Oh, this is what you mean by that. Or, or they'll ask me, they'll, you know, they'll DM me and say, well, I have this question. Because conversations about race are difficult. Persons have killed in the name of race. So these are not easy conversations. People have died. Lives have been ruined, wrecked. Human beings have been wrecked. And so I don't take it lightly um, when persons say they find it difficult to talk about race. Now, I feel called to it, but that doesn't suggest that everybody should be talking about it in the way that I am. Everybody comes to this story their own way, and I want to meet them wherever they are and then take it just a little bit farther. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not, I don't get any pushback. I get lots of questions, though. Uh, partly like, how did you come to this? You sound so free. And how do you, you know, tell me what you mean by this. So I get more, um, more questions than anything. Persons have been pretty relieved um, with it. I mean, I say things like, you know, you're not defined by a single word, one adjective. I mean, who, who wants to be defined by the social coloring of their skin? Didn't King say he didn't, that was his dream? So for me to talk about these things, if I get any pushback, it wouldn't make any sense to me. Because I'm operating in a spirit that we now, well, most people like King, uh, we, that we celebrate, that this is what we want to work toward. Um, but it's not over. And, and when I met my pushback, I, I, was, I, was, I should have been clear. It's my fault. Uh, I was talking about when people are trying to put that in that, that box. Is, is it a colorblind society? Is it a post-racial ah, society? That type, of, that, that type of pushback. I see. 
I see. Oh, I see. Um, no, the persons are very um, intrigued. Uh, I love uh, my followers because they ask really good questions. They're very affirming. They share their stories, which again, deepens my understanding of race and then lets me know the ways in which I need to address race um, to kind of deconstruct it and tear down that barrier and then offer some bomb for the woundings uh, that race causes. Race has hurt us uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We have a lot of work to do. Um, and so I would welcome anybody, even if you disagree, to still walk along with me and let's continue this conversation and tell me how you feel about it, because that's only going to help me. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy conversations about race. I say all the time, I talk about race faithfully until you have absolutely no faith in race, that race is my enemy, not my sibling. Uh, so I don't, I don't have to welcome it to the table. I don't have to feel like I need to be kind to it. I need to be kind to my, to my sibling to this family of faith and this family of God um, that I've been baptized into. You know, I, I want to get your uh, thoughts on this because you, you, you've, you've talked about uh, the, 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 you've talked about the, the historical Jesus. You've talked about King. Um, and what are your thoughts uh, about that? It's profoundly an American or oh, North American, I'll use your, your word, North American process. When you have, people, in this one case, Jesus, one case, Martin Luther King, the first step in the process in order for them to be universally loved is they must be defanged. Hmm. Your thoughts? You said defanged? Yeah, take the fangs out so they're harmless, so they're declawed. I mean, so they're passive, non-abrasive uh, individuals. Because the persons, the persons, both persons you're talking about are radical revolutionaries, but I dare say if you go into church... Um, Go to church on most Martin Luther King Sundays, um, and that person will just rock you to sleep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't, then don't invite me because I'm going to make a mess. They're going to call a business meeting after me. I don't see the point of getting up and preaching if you don't make somebody upset. Jesus didn't come to spare your feelings. We don't have that kind of time. I was raised holiness Pentecostal, and some of those roots are still on me. They would say time is winding up. And so you need to say very clearly, very poignantly what the gospel says. Love. Or you're not Christians. How about that? You hypocrites. Repent. You stole from African people. You kidnapped them. Nothing is going to go right with you until you right that wrong. My indigenous people, who you continue to dispossess, you think that you think good is going to come of this? Repent. And if churches don't don't want to say it, uh, don't have um, don't have the the. I was going to say something. If churches don't want to say it, if pastors are afraid to say it, because some churches are very controlling in that way. Invite me and I'll say it. You can always say, I don't know how she did that. I told her not to say that. That was crazy, wasn't it? And then you can wink and blink and high five me out in the parking lot. But no, it doesn't need to be defanged. No. How, how then can the North American church, uh, can the North American church, I should say, find redemption? Mm. It's going to take a lot of work. I think... Mm. Well, I might as well go ahead and hurt somebody's feelings. That prosperity gospel has messed the North American church up. I think that leaders who fell for that, and I can only speak from my experience, who um, zeroed out youth ministries and fired youth pastors so that they could have shiny new buildings, don't expect any of us to come back anytime soon. We will never forget that. You're not going to get your credibility back that way. Um, I think them falling for Caesar's... Um, 
need for greed and suggesting tying God's love to tithing is problematic. So if we could just change that whole narrative and get on back over to Jesus, that would be great. But can they, uh, that's a hard, because I'm still in the thick of it. I don't, I don't, can you point to persons who are working to rebuild the trust lost for at least one or two generations? Now, when I was growing up, my mother sent us to church. Okay. She, she didn't go, but she sent us to church. You are now in a generation where none of us go. If we have children, we don't send our children. We are not, we're not comfortable sending our children because we don't have to explain stuff that doesn't make any sense. Well, mama, they said this, or daddy, they said that. Then you have to sit for an hour and a half and talk about who Jesus really is and why that's not appropriate. You don't want to do that. You have to undo some of these things. So I think this, the church needs to get its story straight about oppression, about marginalization, about white supremacy and white privilege, about Christian nationalism, and certainly about race when it, when it comes to Jesus. Respond accordingly, not how you feel about it, not what your politician is saying, not your political affiliation. What Jesus, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? And I mean that quite literally. Turn with me in the book, chapter and verse me, because the stuff I'm seeing is not, it, it makes me queasy, makes me queasy. The church has, a, has, I don't know, the church has an uphill battle on that because they're still doing it. You know, I mean, if you mention, right, if, if you, even if you mention, ah, sexual abuse, silent, the sinful laryngitis of the church on sexual abuse, on domestic violence, on hate crimes, on police brutality. When the church, let me know when the church finds its voice, because it's not about um, whoever has an ear, let them hear. It's about, it's about the church finding its voice and having the guts to say it, because we know what the church is supposed to say, and we know that the church is not saying it. So it has, for me and for a few people like me, the church has lost its credibility. And the church has to work on that. I, I, I'm thinking, uh, in, in, in your last answer, I'm, I'm thinking about what we would call um, loosely, uh, I say, the post-black church uh, before 18, post-1865 black church was largely uh, organized a lot of, around liberation. We got to get out of here. Uh, uh, after 1865, you had a church that had a lot of emancipated people, but with with with, with nothing, and so the church started to fill that gap uh, uh, for 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 a group of dispossessed people. Where are we now? Um, because we 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 just can't say that the black church is still on that same post 1865. Uh, paradigm of, of, of trying to uh, help dispossess people. Where, where, where is that church now and where should it be? Um, Lord, that's such a good question. I always said the church is experiencing an identity crisis. Because for every church you go to, they got a different program. These pastor-centered, shiny suit or ripped jean, tattooed people with all their gimmicky three-point alliterative sermons, they all sound the same. I mean, you can go in and it's the, you can hear the same call to worship. You can go to 20 churches and hear the same. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. Man, if you don't sit down somewhere and open that psalm book and find one of lament, we are in the midst of a pandemic. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear something different. So no, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know what the church is doing. I don't know who the church thinks she is right now, uh, but this is not it. 
whatever they're supposed to be doing, they're not. All they know how to do right now is imitate Caesar. Hmm. Um, but, but before before uh, uh, we we close, I want you to spend, spend a few minutes talking about your podcast, how it augments this work, and um, how people can hear hear you who have not heard you. So the podcast was not my idea. <laughs> it was it was Mitch Randall's. He's our CEO at Good Faith Media, and um, I couldn't see it, but he did. Um, so he, as he does, he says, I have an idea, and then he just let me run with it. Um, and so it's a, I consider myself your podcast pastor. And so every, you know, for a few Sundays, every season, uh, we talk about that taboo trinity, uh, race, religion, and politics. Uh, and so last season was body work, uh, because the church is a piece of work. Uh, and it addressed things like body positivity and body image and, and body language. Uh, so we, in, we embodied conversations that we wanted to see uh, or hear from the church. Um, and so if, they want, if you all want to hear that and hear more of that, uh, so the Raceless Gospel podcast is on all streaming platforms um, and it's free. You don't have to pass a, a, an offering or anything like that. Um, just let me know, shout me out and let me know that you're listening. And that would be greatly appreciated. Mm. Thank you for asking that. Huh. Reverend Starlight Thomas, it is truly, truly uh, been an honor to be in conversation with you uh, today. Uh, somebody needs to pass the plate, uh, Michael. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at byron at publicmorality.org. That's byron, B-Y-R-O-N, at publicmorality.org. You can follow me on Facebook, as well as Twitter. The archive broadcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Prime, and SoundCloud. Those listening to the Paul McRally on WSNC can now listen on its app. Using your mobile device, simply go to your application page, search WSNC 90.5, and click Open to listen from anywhere. And once again, I want to thank Elvin Jenkins and Michael Burns at WGAB in Huntsville, Alabama for allowing us to broadcast the Paul McRally at their studios. The Paul McRally is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at the Paul McRally, I'm Byron Williams.